Um, I am... I am so excited to preach the word of God. Uh, I was telling someone, uh, I think it's Randy in the green room a little bit ago, or, or Chuck, I can't remember, whoever is telling, I was telling somebody and I said, you know, um, as a pastor, you get in a rhythm because you have to preach every week. And so my message prep is I'm prepped out here. And then as it gets closer, I, I drill and dig and drill and dig and, and organize. And, and, and I said, so when you, when you get a little bit of a break, you break that rhythm. And sometimes you get things from God that you might not have gotten if you were in that kind of rhythm of, I've got to have another message. And so we, we've been out on a break and, um, and I, we left out. I felt like God gave me this passage. I want you to read this. And I just feel like he has given me a word for you, a word for our church, uh, a word for me. And so it, we're going to go to Second Chronicles chapter 20 today. Second Chronicles, if you have a Bible, whether it's digital and you click or analog and you turn, Second uh, Chronicles chapter, if you don't have a Bible, no, no, we have two big Bibles up here beside me. Um, and we will, uh, we will certainly, certainly put everything up there. But Second Chronicles chapter 20. Now, what's going on? Um, Jehoshaphat. There's a great name if you're pregnant or... or um, I don't think it's a good name. You're probably going to be made... Of course, right now, some super spiritual person is watching online. They're like, I have two children, my son named Jehoshaphat and a girl named Jezebel. Bless you. That's all I can say. Bless you. Um, <laughs> Um, anyways, Jehoshaphat, if you're looking for a baby name, um, Jehoshaphat, uh, he is king. He is the fourth king of the, the, the kingdom of Judah, Judah, God's people divided. So David and, and then Solomon were kings over the entire kingdom. Then they divided Jeroboam and Rehoboam divided the kingdom into a Northern kingdom of Israel. They talk a lot faster and they don't put enough sugar in their tea. That's sin. And then the southern kingdom of Judah, God's anointed people, right? They, they, um, they talk slower, have a little draw. And if you take their sweet tea, you can pour it over your, your pancakes. It's so good, right? And so, so um, Jehoshaphat is the fourth king over the southern kingdom, if you will, of Judah. The capital is Jerusalem. Um, he's the son of Asa. Asa was a good king, uh, righteous king. He was a worshiper, tore down the, the places of idol worship that people had built up. And Jehoshaphat takes over two years before Asa passes away because he became ill. Jehoshaphat takes over as king as, at 35 years old, and, and, and his reign is 25 years. And so he, uh, he follows in his dad's steps. He is a righteous king. He's a righteous king, and um, and he continues to tear down places of worship, to worship the Lord, um, to fortify uh, Judah against Israel because sometimes they would fight. And... Um, and he would even send the Levites out throughout the kingdom preaching and declaring the word of God. And so he's a, he's a great guy. But what's happened now is all these, all these armies of the people of God from Mount Seir, Moab, Ammon, Edom, that area, they have all come together and decided we're going to attack Judah. And um, it, we don't even know how many nations. It was all the ites, probably the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Marijites, Bossites, Cellulites. All the ites were together, and they decided to come at one time. Have you ever been in a battle where it's like, could I just have one enemy, Jesus? Do I need? So this was one of those. And what they realized is we, we cannot win. 
And by the time Jehoshaphat finds out, they have already crossed over the Dead Sea, if you will. And now they're in Judah about 35 miles. They are 35 miles to the southeast of Jerusalem, right? And, and they um, can be in his palace, if you will, on his doorstep in two days of marching. And he doesn't have time to pull his troops all back into Jerusalem because they're spread out. And, and what he knows is we, we can't win. And this is what's going on in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Some of you know the story because it's such a good one, but we're, we're going we're to go through it together. Um, 2 Chronicles 20 verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites. Have you ever heard of the Meunites? They are very selfish. <laughs> like sometimes we're fighting an enemy, and sometimes we're just fighting ourselves. Because you amen when I said the bossites and the marriageites, and now I'm saying maybe you got a problem with the meites. <laughs> they came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea, and it was already at, and there's, that's a Hebrew name that I'm not Hebrew, so I, they were already at that place, 35 miles away. Three, verse 3, alarm, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek help from God. Now, I can't tell you the rest of the story. We're going to walk through it together. So my title's not going to make sense until we get there. But this is what I felt like, because this is the word God just put in my spirit. And this is what I felt like I wanted to say to everyone. And so I just titled the message this. I just titled this, Take a Break. And that's going to make sense in a minute. But you write it down right now, so when it makes sense, you'll be glad you wrote it down. I won't be trying to cheat off your neighbor. What did he say this called? Take a break. Can we pray together? Father, thank you so much that we have gathered in your presence. And God, we have truly gathered in your presence, not in a room, not even with friends, but God, we gathered because you, you, this is the place you make your name known. We have gathered to meet with you. And we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak words of life that would penetrate our hearts and change us from the inside out so that we will leave here with wisdom we didn't have, understanding we didn't have, and knowledge we didn't have, and be better equipped to walk out the life that you have called us to. God, today, change us, transform us, so that when we leave here, God, we could never be accused of being the same, for we have been changed by your presence. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. There is a wonderful work of art that was released in 1991. It is a film. It is called What About Bob? And now you're laughing because you're not a fan or you're laughing because you are a fan. Either way, you're laughing. Um, it's a Bill Murray movie, if you're familiar with Bill Murray. And uh, What About Bob? Bill Murray plays um, Bob, who is a paranoid schizophrenic. Um, and he runs one psychiatrist out of business because he is so needy and, and has so many issues. And so this psychiatrist passes him on. This is where the movie starts. Passing him on to Richard Dreyfus, who is Dr. Leo Marvin. The only problem is Dr. Leo Marvin meets with him one time, and then he is headed to Lake Winnipesaukee on vacation. And Bob is left without a therapist. So through a lot of mischief and misleading and all out kind of lying, Bob finds out where Dr. Leo Marvin is vacationing and shows up there. 
And to Dr. Marvin's surprise, here's his new patient, Bob, at his house on Lake Winnipesaukee. And, and so he is trying to explain in a nice way to Bob, I'm on vacation. So he says, Bob, what is everything you see around you? You know, there's a lake and a pier, you know, and a pretty house. And what does all this speak to you? And, and, and Bob's like, uh, I don't know. He said, vacation. I am on vacation. And so Dr. Marvin gets what I think was a pretty good idea. He gets his prescription pad out and Bob's like, no, I don't need pills. I have pills. And he's like, this is not pills, Bob. And he writes him a prescription and on it, it says, take a vacation from your problems. In other words, he said, Bob, why don't you take a break? And in, in a way, I'm not, you, know, you just stick with me, but in a way, I just felt like maybe God was saying, why don't we take a break from the way we normally deal with our problems? Why don't we take a break from the normal strategies that we deploy when we find ourselves in a battle? And I just felt like we needed, I, because when you read this text, we, King Jehoshaphat finds out this army that, that we can't even determine really the parameters of it is coming against him. And he does three things that are not normal. Number one, he takes a prayer break. He said, we're going to pray and fast because in two days they're going to be here. Then he takes a worship break. We're going to bow before the Lord. But then he ends with a praise break. And I just felt like that, that maybe God was speaking that you need to take a break from the battle, right? You need to take a break from the fight, maybe, but not the battle. And maybe, maybe you need to take a prayer break. Maybe you need to take a worship break. Maybe you need to take a praise break. But maybe you just need to take a break from how you normally fight your battles. And so if you're writing things down, if you're one of those highly anointed, called of God to change the world, people who write things down, you may want to write down these three points. Number one, number one, what we run to reveals what we trust in. Now, for some of you, that was all you needed. And I could just go home right now. But what we run to reveals what we trust in. I love this in verse three of Second Chronicles chapter 20. It says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. Now, time. it is not a crime to be afraid. Like I know sometimes in Pastor Jessica, I thought delivered such a great word uh, last week about overcoming fear and how could you move, what's holding you back and how can you move forward with God. And, um, but I want you to know, it's not a crime to be afraid. The problem is not being afraid. The problem is where do you run when you are afraid? Not, not a problem to be afraid. There are many times. I'm, what did John Wayne say? He said, he said uh, that, that courage wasn't that you're not afraid. It's just you saddle up anyway. Right? And some of you are like, I don't know who John Wayne is. And for you, for you young people, you need to go to Netflix. Because we're talking about the Duke. I mean, in my house with my dad, it was like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the Duke. Do you understand what I'm saying? You need to get saved. Anyway, so, <laughs> but, but I love this because it says he was afraid, but look what he did. Look what he did. He set his face to seek the Lord. What do you do when you're afraid? Problem's not being afraid. That's just, that just means you're human. Like people are, oh, I'm not scared. Oh, you're a liar. Are you crazy? Are you a droid or something? I don't it's not, the problem's not being a scared. It's where you run when you are scared. I, I think what's, what's interesting is, is that, that, 
you know, let me say this. Two chapters earlier, two chapters earlier, Jehoshaphat chooses to go to war with the king of Israel. He didn't have to. In fact, there was a bunch of false prophets that were like, yeah, it's going to be great. Because <laughs> the king would kill him if they didn't say what he wanted. The king of Israel, he was not a righteous king, but he invited he wanted to get rid of Syria, and so he invited Jehoshaphat, will you go to war with me against the Syrians? And Jehoshaphat said, isn't there a prophet of God? And so they find a prophet, and he says, I don't think it's a good idea. But Jehoshaphat chooses to go to war with him. And, and, and there are some battles you choose. In fact, if, if you're married or you have children, um, then, then you will hear someone very wise at some point tell you, you need to choose your battles. I remember with our youngest, uh, Briggs, um, Briggs, uh, unfortunately, with, with I, I'm, I'm a very strong person. I'm very opinionated. And so as Luke was growing up, we wanted him dressed, you know, we put the clothes on. He's just little. He didn't care. He let us. But, but, but I learned, because I'm, I can be a little overbearing, I learned as we went on, I need to let them make some decisions. I need to let them make some choices. So by the time we had Briggs, um, we were going to second grade, uh, meet the teacher. And Julie had given me the assignment because she was either working or doing something. She was going to meet us there. She had given me the assignment of dressing the children and getting them to meet the teacher. It seemed simple enough. But you didn't have a Briggs. And so Briggs comes down the stairs and he is wearing some basketball shorts that do not match the t-shirt that he has selected that do not match probably the Thomas the Train Crocs or flip-flops that he is wearing. And to top this ensemble off, he has chosen his Pluto hat from Disney with the big ears that hang down the side because it is yellow and the boy loves him some yellow. And it was at that moment that I thought, this is not how I want to be represented as a parent, as though I let my child go out of the house dressed like this. Julie's not going to be happy when she shows up at the school and she's like, you let him wear that. But then I thought to myself, Sunday is coming and we're going to want this child to not dress like this for church. Maybe if I let him win here, maybe this isn't really about how I need to be seen. Truthfully, that's just who he is. He just, he just being him. And that teacher probably needs to know who he is because she's going to be trying to teach him. And so I just looked at him. I said, Briggs, is that what you'd like to wear to meet the teacher? He said, yep. I said, come on, boy, you got to do you, boo. Let's get in the car. <laughs> and we took him to meet the teacher in all of the glory of his array. But sometimes you have to choose your battles. Now, here's the thing. The, the older I get, the, the more I'm selective about which battles I choose. And, and Jehoshaphat had chosen in chapter 18 to be in a battle he wasn't called to. See, we are all called to win battles. We are all called to wars. We are all called to do something. But he chose a battle that wasn't his. And when you choose a battle that's not yours, you put yourself in a fight you are not equipped to win. But now the page has turned because in chapter 18, he chose a battle that wasn't his. But now in chapter 20, he didn't choose the battle. The battle chose him. He was just minding his business, trying to be a righteous king, trying to get the word of God throughout his kingdom, trying to tear the high places down and to fortify his kingdom against northern enemies. And now all these enemies come from the south. He didn't choose this battle. What happens when the battle chooses you? What happens when you find yourself in a fight you didn't sign up for? 
What happens when all of a sudden they walk out? All of a sudden the doctor says what he says. All of a sudden they announce a layoff. All of a sudden you're depressed and you can't get out of bed. You didn't go looking for a fight. Somehow the battle came looking for you. I found most of the battles that I am in today. Can I just be honest with you? Most of the battles I'm in today, I did not choose them. I'm older. I don't want to fight. I, I want a hammock on a beach with a fruity drink. Amen. Non-alcoholic, because I feel like I need to say that right now because somebody just got free. Whoa, the pastor said. I was thinking this week because we were in a meeting and, and I'm, you know, we, one of the battles we've been fighting is a sewage battle, been fighting a dirt battle because we're trying to build this campus out here. And I thought, you know, if I was a checker down at the Piggly Wiggly, I would not be fighting these battles. Now, some of you don't know what the Piggly Wiggly is, but that was a grocery store that had the most awesome name. <laughs> they don't exist anymore. I don't know why. Piggly Wiggly. But, um... But, but I, I, and there's nothing wrong with being a checker down there, but I thought if it was a checker of the Piggly Wiggly, I would not be fighting a battle over sewage so people could go to the house of the Lord. I wouldn't be fighting a battle over getting the right dirt so we could build a foundation for a building so when the, when the praises go up, the foundation doesn't come down. <laughs> there are so many battles that I'm in today that I didn't choose at all. They chose me. And I think sometimes we need to be honest enough to say that if you follow Jesus, now why do these battles choose you? It's not because of necessarily what you did. It may not be because of who you are. But it's many times because of whose you are. Jehoshaphat is in, in think about this, he didn't ask to be king. Right? I mean, he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't the one, as far as we know, running around singing the song, I just can't wait to be king. He wasn't Simba. He was born into this family and then, and then his dad gets sick and he becomes the king earlier probably than, than he guessed he would be. But now he's in a battle because he's a king who names the name of the Lord. Peter said that your adversary, the devil... Roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That the day you decided to follow Jesus, you, you signed up and got an adversary who hates you. And the battle that you're in many times is the proof of whose you are. And now you're in a battle. You didn't want to fight. You didn't choose a fight. And sometimes people are like, well, I just thought if I followed Jesus, honey, let me help you out. Jesus doesn't come with a little fairy dust. Like, ooh, just sprinkle some Jesus on it. No, uh-uh. You, you signed up and the devil said, oh, now you're marked and I'm going to come try to devour you. And now you're in a battle and you didn't choose the battle. The battle chose you. And you know, the truth of it is, you know what I've learned? I may not get to choose my battles, but I do get to choose my refuge. 
I don't get to choose the battles that I'm going to have to fight, the battles that I'm going to have to face. But like King Jehoshaphat, when the battle comes knocking on my door, I do get to choose where I run to or who I run to. I get to choose where I go. And, and where I run reveals what I trust. So many times we say we trust in the Lord, but the battle hits and we run to Netflix. Or we run to Twitter. Or we run to Jim and Jack and the captain. And if you're like, I don't get that, bless you. Bless you, holy and anointed. Proverbs 18 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run in and they are saved. You get to choose where you run. Look at what David says. What happens when I run to the wrong refuge? What happens? What happens when I run to Visa? I thought Visa could save me. And then I found out it had a 27.9% APR. <laughs> what happens when you run to the wrong refuge right there. Psalm 52, 6, this is David talking. He knew a lot about battles. David said, the righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, see the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his destruction. He said he, he ran to the wrong refuge and it cost him everything. Because when you're God's, there's only one refuge to run to. In fact, if you're not God's, there's only one refuge to run to. See, King Jehoshaphat said, we're going to have a prayer, a time of prayer, and we're going to have a fast. And when they started praying and fasting, God showed up and answered. Look what God said, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 14. Then, sometimes you just need one word from the Bible. Then, when, when they ran to the Lord, when they ran to the strong tower of God, when, then, the Spirit of the Lord came. Can I just, I want to pause and say something. You'd be amazed if you'd stop, stop running from the fight and start running to God. If you would run to Him as your refuge, you might be amazed at what He would say back to you. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehiel, Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benai, son of Jael, son of a lot of other people. Verse 15. <laughs> he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. Look at this. For the battle is not yours. But God's. Here's the great thing. When the battle chooses me because of whose I am, God shows up to fight it for me. Right? Here's what I'm saying. That we get to choose. We don't get to choose the battle. We get to choose where we run to. And this is what I'm saying. You better make sure that what you choose to run to has the power to deliver you. You need to make sure what you choose to run to has the power to deliver. Visa may not be able to, Netflix may not be able, Jim may not be able, Ambien may not be able. You need, you, need to be, you need to make sure that whatever you're choosing to run to has the power to deliver you. Because what we run to reveals what we trust in. Here, here's the second thing. Um, when we get smaller, God gets bigger. When we get smaller, God gets 
bigger. I love this because Second Chronicles, he, he had a prayer break, then he had a worship break. Second Chronicles 20, verse 18, it says, Then Jehoshaphat bowed, one version says low, bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Now, this is very different than the battle where he barely escaped with his life in chapter 18. Because in chapter 18, Jehoshaphat was feeling pretty big. Oh, they're asking me to join the fight. Oh, they're, they're calling for my armies. And even with a prophet saying, this is not what God wants to do, Jehoshaphat decided I'm still big enough to do it anyway. Jehoshaphat made himself big. And when we make ourselves big, all we do is we get a life full of ourselves, and then there is no room for God. And he decides to go about this strategy because, see, then there's that pride. You know, that's what pride is, really. Pride is just assuming that you can live the life that God has called you to without him. Pride is assuming that you know what to do, that you can just do it your way, that you can just have it your way. That may work at Burger King. It does not work with Jesus. And so he had made himself bigger. And he realized the folly of that because now faced with this army, he said, I'm going to make myself smaller because when I get myself smaller, there is more room in my life for God. I'm not full of myself. Someone said to me one time, they said, you know, we really don't have a problem with idol worship in, in America. And what I said was, oh, yes, we have, we have the worst idol in America. And they said, is it money? I said, no. Is it fame? No. What is it? I said, it is the worship of self. People were saying, well, I've just got to do my truth. I'm sorry, when did you become God? When did you become an expert? 23 years old, posting, I just got to, I just got to live my own truth. You, you, you haven't been alive long enough to know what truth is. You're not Gandhi? Come on. Like, and, and, and think about this. I forgot the stats on this, but how many times a day someone takes a selfie? Now, I'm not telling you you can't take a selfie. I'm not saying that. But, of course, nowadays we take the selfie. Come on, let's be honest. And then we filter it and Photoshop it. And by the time you post it, your friends are like, I don't think that's her. <laughs> when did she become Beyonce? <laughs> I don't think that. Now, nowadays, we have so many people trying to take selfies, and, and like now people come by and say, you want me to take that for you? It's like, no, I'm trying to take a selfie. I'm not asking for a UE. I'm asking for a selfie. It's like, the point is that we live in a world where we make our, our lives full of us sometimes. And when we do that, we don't leave room for God. And one of the remedies for that is worship, where we bow low. And say, God, this is what they said. Uh, they said, we are powerless against this enemy. We are powerless. That's the problem. Sometimes with us, we don't want to admit we're powerless. We don't want to admit we don't know the answers. We don't want to admit we don't have the truth. Or we don't want to admit that, that we need to depend on, on someone else. But they said, no, no, we're powerless. And they said, you know what? We're going to make ourselves smaller and give more room for God in our life. 
and said, we're going to worship. Now, I want to talk to you just a little bit about worship because I think a lot of people are trying to understand what is worship really. And worship is a lot of things. Worship is the way I live my life. Worship is uh, the things that I do. It's, it's, it's the things that I say. It's, it worships a lot. But when we're talking about just worship, just, just worship like this morning worship in the presence of God, worship. I, I want us to understand that, that worship is not just singing a song and worship isn't just lifting a hand and worship just isn't clouding, cla- clapping or even shouting. Did you, clouding is what? happens when you clap and shout at the same time. Are you with me? I, I made that up. Synergy. It's easier to communicate. Come before the Lord with clouding. Someone asked me one time, pastor, do you write the jokes? I'm like, no, if I talk long enough, I'll just make one. But I want us to understand, understand what worship is. And, and to me, Worship, worship is that. It's when we humble ourselves before the Lord and we come into his presence and it's really, worship really takes place or, or, or the fruit of worship. Or what worship, I guess maybe the definition, I would say worship really is an encounter with God. But we have to put our pla- ourselves in a place to encounter him. That's why we came today. We put ourselves in a place to encounter God. Um, let me show you this, Exodus 25. I'm going to read verse 1, verse 8, and verse 22. Uh, verse 8 is one of the scriptures that God gave me um, when, when he was speaking to Julie and I about starting this church 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago. It was the scripture that he gave me. And so I think it's so ironic that I came back to it. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is so good. Exodus 25, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to bring to me their sacred offerings, accept contributions from those whose hearts are moved to offer them. That's what we've been doing with Arise. We ask people who God has moved on your heart to give. We ask people who God hasn't moved on your heart, would you pray that he would move on your heart so you could give? And so, because we are trying to build this campus, and so God, people have been giving so faithfully, um, and we are celebrating that. And and that's why there's construction going on on the campus right now. And they're doing a, a tremendous job out there. And so we're getting very close to pouring concrete. And so we'll give an update on that next week. But, but it's because people gave. Verse 8, this was a verse the Lord spoke to me. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary. Why? So I can live among them. So I can live among them. Why? What, what's going to happen there? Verse 22, God says, I will meet with you there. And I'll talk with you there from above the atonement cover between the golden cherubim um, of the Ark of the Covenant. He said, from there I'll give my command. So look, this is what God said. I want you to make a place because there I'm going to meet with you and I'm going to talk with you. I want you to build me a place because there, where? At the place you make for me. I'm going to meet with you and I'm going to talk with you. Now this was called the tent of meeting, which was the tabernacle which was the precursor really to this building, the place where God makes his name known, where he meets with us and speaks with us. Let me give you a picture. Jacob is running from Esau because he, he was mischievous and somewhat of a con artist and stole the blessing of the firstborn. And Israel, I'm sorry, Esau was really, really good at hunting and said, I'm going to kill you. And so Jacob ran, he pulled a sweet brown. He ran for his life. And he is running north uh, toward Uncle Laban's ranch. And he gets tired and he stops at this place. He's so tired. How tired is he? Well, he went to sleep on a rock. When you can use a rock as a pillow, you are tired. Can we all agree? It wasn't a Serta. It wasn't a Tempur-Pedic. He didn't take an Ambien. He laid down on a rock and went to sleep. That man was tired. But as he sleeps, he has an encounter with God. 
and he sees these angels ascending and descending from heaven. And then God meets with him and God speaks with him. And God says, now think about this. He is running for his life, so he is afraid. And he has left all his possessions, his job, his family, so he is broke. And God meets with him and says, I'll protect you and I'll provide for you. And he names the place Bethel or Bethel, meaning house of God. And he worshiped there. See, this is what worship's about. This is why God invites us into worship because he wants to have an encounter with us where he takes, where he takes our problem and gives us a promise. Cast all your care upon him. Are you with me? Where, where he takes our fear and he gives us peace. Where he takes our lack and, and promises to, to prosper us. And to, he, he, this is a place where God takes our heaviness and gives us joy. That this is what worship that God invites us into. It's not just I sang a song, I followed along on the screen. That is good. But it's a deep place of connecting with God where there is an exchange and an encounter that happens. That is worship. And the way we have that is we make ourselves smaller and we make more room for God in our lives, just like you did this morning. You said, I'm going to make room for God in my life. I'm going to go to the house of the Lord today. I could stay home. I could sleep in. I could watch me some Netflix and veg out because it's kind of rainy and some Netflix and I could order out waiter going to bring me some food. But you said, no, 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 no. I'm going to go to the house. Of the Lord. I'm going to make room. I'm going to get smaller and I'm make room for God to be bigger in my life. I'm going to worship him. And that's what you did. And then God shows up. So they kind of took a, a, a prayer break. What we run to reveals what we trust in. They took a, a worship break. When we get smaller, God gets bigger. And then here's the last thing. They took a praise break. They took a praise break. Write this down. The praise of God implores the power of God. This is a spiritual principle. It's a scriptural principle. But the praise of God implores the power of God. Second Chronicles 20 verse 1, it says, After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army. Now, did you just see what he said? He took a break. He took a break from normal military strategy. He took a break from conventional wisdom. Are you with me? He, he, he took a break from his strategist and he took a break from his officers and nothing wrong with any of those things. But he said, no, 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 we're going to take a break. And normally we would go with our foot soldiers in front. But today we're going to call the worship team and we're going to ask the band to go out ahead of us. Now, right about now, if I was on the worship team, I'd be saying, hold up. Yeah. <laughs> I signed up to sing twice a month, but I didn't sign up to be a shield, you know, like. But he said, no, 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 we're going to take a break from conventional was the way we would usually fight, the way we have been fighting. Maybe we're going to take a break from that because as we worship God in that encounter, in that exchange, God has given me a new strategy. And so instead of letting the foot soldiers go first, we're going to put the praisers out first. And they went marching saying, give thanks to the Lord, his love. Now you think about the faith that it takes. Because many of us, can we just be honest, when we are facing a battle, we see the enemy and think, oh God, he's left us. I'm all alone. God's deserted me. They're staring down their enemy saying, give thanks to the Lord. 
His love endures forever. But the enemy's bigger than you. Give thanks to the Lord. But his love endures forever. But the enemy's coming. They're going to take care. Give thanks to the Lord for his love. I wonder what your battle would look like if you would change strategies. And if you would stare down your adversary and start saying, I'm going to praise God even when I'm unsure. I'm going to praise God when I don't know. I'm going to praise God when I don't understand. I'm going to give thanks to the Lord because his love endures forever. Just because I'm in a battle doesn't mean he's not with me. And just because I'm in a battle doesn't mean he doesn't love me. And just because I'm in a battle sure doesn't mean I'm going to lose. I'm going to give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And they started staring down their enemies. They started staring down their enemies. Now I want to point something out because in the text, we didn't read it, but in the text it says that the, the, the word of the Lord to them was you will not even have to fight. Now I want to point out something. They didn't have to fight, but they did have to show up. Because I don't want y'all thinking, oh, I'm going to do like Bob, take a vacation from my battle. No, 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 no. You don't have to fight, but you do have to show up. You want to win in your marriage? You got to show up. You want to win with your family? You got to show up. You want to win in your finances? You got to show up. You want to win at work? You better show up. But here's the thing. If we show up, God will show out. Are you with me? If we show up with a praise, God will show out. (laughs) See, here's the truth of it. Worship. Think about this. Worship. Worship. Worship is God's invitation to us. I don't know if you ever thought about that. That's why God's like, build me a tabernacle. Why? I'm going to invite you to meet with me. Worship is, in fact, Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter four, he said, God is seeking worshipers. He's, he is inviting those who will worship. Worship is God's invitation for us, just like Jacob, to worship and to have an encounter with him. That is his invitation to us. Praise is our invitation to him. Worship is, 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 remember this, remember this, right? Worship, God is seeking those who, who, who worship him. Praise though, Psalm 22, God inhabits the praise of his people. Worship is where God invites me into an encounter. Praise is where I invite God into my situation. Praise is where I invite God. Praise, listen to me very carefully. Praise is the expression of victory before the experience of victory. Praise is the expression of victory. And so praise is when I invite God into whatever's going on in my life, whatever I'm facing, that that he's looking, he's inviting me to worship. But when I start praising, I open the door for the power of God to move into my life and my situation. Now think about that because in Philippians 4, verse 6, Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication. Now, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. You're like, well, that'd be easy. I'd be anxious for nothing if I were Paul. Let me remind you that Paul is in prison when he is right. Like throw the man in prison. He'll just write a Bible. You know, he'll write the New Testament. If you're the devil, you got to hate that. Like I beat him and threw him in prison and he just wrote more New Testament. I'd be killing anybody that tried to put him in prison if I were the devil. But Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Now look at this with prayer and supplication. Now, most of us get that part. We got that. Like, oh, we're supposed to pray. We had an elder who was an elder with us for years, and they moved. He was a coach, and they moved away. But, um, but I used to, in our elders, man, I'd say, you know, we need to pray. And he'd always say, 
Has it come to that? Now, he was joking because he was one of the greatest prayer warriors I've ever seen in my life. But, but he was, and I just thought, that is sometimes what we think. Like, when I've tried everything I can try and it hasn't worked, maybe we should pray. But look at this. Paul says, be anxious for nothing but everything with prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. But notice the third thing. With prayer and supplication, and then there's this little preposition, with, and then this word, thanksgiving. It's the word for praise. Here's what he's saying. Don't be anxious, but pray, petition, and praise. That's what he's saying. Pray, petition, and praise. And then, and then, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I'm just wondering, maybe we're missing one of the recipes for this formula we find in Philippians. I'm not big on formulas, but you get the idea. That maybe we have been praying and maybe been petitioning, but have we been praising? Have we been praising? Look, look at this. Look at this. Second Chronicles 20, verse 22. Now we read verse 21, 22. Look at this. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, all those invading Judah, and they were defeated. When were they defeated? As they began. Look, God did not wait till the song was over. He just needed the door to be cracked a little bit so he could get involved. And I wonder if God is poised, ready at your life, looking at your situation, thinking, oh, if you would just praise, I could get in there. Oh, if you would just praise, I could come and fight for you. I'm just waiting. It says, as they began to sing, as they began to praise God, God got involved. Remember, remember, remember Moses? Remember Moses? Moses, right? They, the children of Israel are in a battle, and God said, Moses, just lift your hands up. What's that? That's praise. Lift your hands up. And then his hands would get tired, and they would fall, and they start losing. Finally, Aaron and her got out of there and said, we got to hold his hands up. we got to keep the praise going, because as long as his hands up, we're winning. Remember Joshua? Joshua, he said, guys, i got a great strategy. Here's this fortified city called Jericho. It is the first city in, in, in this land of promise that God has promised us, and we're going to go fight it. And they said, how are we going to fight? We're going to take our arrows, our pitchforks, our torches. He said, no, we're going to walk around it and be quiet. For six days, we're going to walk around it and not say a word. Why? Because I, I don't want you to talk yourself out of what God's trying to do right now. And then on the seventh day, we're going to walk around it six times and be real quiet. But on that seventh time around, on the seventh time, we're going to put the worship team out front again. And we're going to have them singing. And then we're going to shout. And then we're going to blast the ram's horn. And then the walls are going to come down. What about Paul and Silas? Paul and Silas in the book of Acts, they, they are in this uh, city of Philippi. They are in the city and they are preaching the gospel. But there's this lady that follows them around. She is demon possessed and she keeps saying, what she's saying true, but it was the wrong spirit. Come on, you need discernment in your life. Because sometimes people can say the right thing with the wrong motive. But, but she's saying these are children of God. And finally Paul got, he got fed up and he cast the demon out of this girl. Now she was happy, but the man who was making money off Sister Cleo's palm reading, he got mad. He had them thrown in jail. He got them so mad they threw them into the inner prison. You know where the inner prison is? That's right in the middle. That's in the bottom of the prison where all the sewage goes. 
and they put them in stocks and put them in chains. It is dark down there. It smells not like Christmas at all. But the Bible said about midnight, they can't see anything. They sure can smell something. And they're all chained up. And about the mid, about midnight, Paul leaned over Silas and said, what do you think about singing a little bit? And all of a sudden they started out, this is how I fight my battles. This is how, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And the Bible says, as they begin to sing, as they begin to sing, do you hear what I'm saying? There was an earthquake. Why was there an earthquake? Because God was trying to get in. That's why there was an earthquake. He wasn't trying to break them out. He said, I hear some praise in a battle and it has opened the door and I'm going to find a way in to fight this battle for you. And God, God delivered them out of the prison and not only that, he saved the guard. This is how I fight my battles. This is, I wonder what in your battle right now, in your life right now, I wonder what it would look like to you if all of a sudden you'd stop fighting and throw your hands in the air like you really do care and just scream a shout out to the Lord and say, God, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. I, I may be struggling, but you supply all my needs. I may be feeling depressed, but you give me the oil of joy. You give me the garment of praise for the spirit of God you may be moving the enemy may be coming against me one way I praise God he's going to flee seven ways what would happen if you would lift up a praise if you take a praise break right in the middle of the battle you've been fighting you might find out there's an earthquake something might start to shake as God comes in to fight your battle for you I wish somebody praise God shout. Some of you need to shout. Need to stare down your devil and shout. Need to stare down your enemy and shout. Need to stare down your situation and lift up a praise. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Pray. 
grateful? Aren't we grateful today, God? We're so grateful for your presence. God, we are so grateful that you lead us in victory. God, that you are not forsaken us. You haven't left us. And God, even if we're in a battle today, God, you're just looking for an opportunity to enter that battle and to fight. And God, praise opens that door. Opens that door. The, the praise of God implores the power of God. Lord, let us make room for you. Let us make room for you, God. Where there's a prayer break, a worship break, or a praise break, God. This is how we fight our battles.